0: for tuning in, this is James from Octopart. Uh, welcome to the next installment of the webinar series as we're doing. Uh, today we have two guests for you, both from Circuit Bread, who is an Octopart partner. Uh, this is Engineering Your Success, Navigating Paths in Engineering and Technology. Basically, we're gonna have uh, two different discussion topics going today, both tying in together. And what we're looking at is how to break into the engineering sector, both as an engineer and as a non-engineering professional. So to start us off, we have Joshua Bishop. Uh, he is joined by Lauren Dubkowski. And just before we get started, I just want to let you know if you have any questions whatsoever, please feel free to ask them in the chat. We will get to them at the end of the show. Uh, Josh, thanks for joining us. I'll let you take it from here.
1: Yeah, thanks for that introduction, James. Uh, as James mentioned, my name is Josh Bishop. I uh, work with uh, Circuit Bread and SwellFox, and we'll get into that in a moment. I'm over the engineering team. My background is in electrical engineering. And uh, Laren and I, along with our partner, April, started up uh, SwellFox and Circuit Bread uh, several years ago. And April was smart enough not to join us today. She is our lead developer. She's over the development team that do- does all of our site development, and she, is a little bit more camera shy than us, which again, I think is a good indicator of intelligence. Uh, Laren, I'll let you introduce yourself.
2: Yeah, uh, I am a UX UI designer now for Swell Fox. Um, and before that, I worked in, uh, I've, I've been a UX UI designer for about 10 years. Um, and before that, I worked in IT for a school district. Um, and I, I just wanted to give a shout out too, to, uh, April can be on the call with us, um, but neither uh, can everyone on our team, and uh, we just have an amazing team of uh, designers, videographers, content creators, uh, developers, and I'm gonna leave out a lot of other roles, um, but I just wanted to
1: recognize everybody on our team for all the great work that they do. So when we think about how you can be the most successful in an electrical engineering community, As an electrical engineer, we think the best way is to have a strong educational background, uh, to have a foundation that was built in college that you really understand the concepts. And nobody expects you to be perfect when you come out of college. Nobody expects you to know how to do everything, but just the ability to speak intelligently and to have problem-solving skills and to have that foundation, even if there's a lot of fluff that you're still missing, knowing your basic circuits, your, your basic vocabulary even, is incredibly important in your first job. And that's kind of another interesting aspect of this. And one thing that Laren will be talking about more is when you get into that first job, you've been prepped to think, I'm gonna be doing engineering, I'm gonna be working with engineers. And while that's true, we find that most people are surprised at how much they work with non-engineers and the non-technical people. And so that's where it's fun to get Laren's perspective as a non-engineer on what it's like to work with those of us that are engineers?
2: Yeah, so before uh, before working with Swafox, before working in the electronics uh, industry, I, like I said, I worked in IT for a school district and I, I'd say in that job role, I was uh, a bit more on the technical side. You're used to people coming to you with questions that they don't know that they need answers to. Um, they're putting work orders in, you're helping them solve those problems and it feels good to like be the technical person. But then moving into the electronics industry, I remember uh, my first like few weeks on the job and like the projects we were working on. I'm just like, not only like the transitioning to a new, uh, in my case, profession of of being a designer. It was hard, but um, understanding that we're supposed to do this for these these parts, these little black parts that you don't you don't know anything about um, is is challenging. Um, So. I, you know, that's where, um, I, I guess over, over the course of the last 10 years working in the industry, you, um, you pick up some tips and, and you, you kind of learn how to work in that environment. So I'd say that one thing, um, that's really important is, is, uh, it, it's been great working with Josh because he's, he's, he's electrical engineer and, um, in the environment we were in, if we were working on a project, we could just. Go to our engineers and say, "Listen, decode this for me. Like, like put this in a way that I can I can understand." Um, So it's important to have technical people on on staff um, so that they can decode the the whole environment. Um, I I think another part of it is learning to ask the right questions. Uh, Now in my role, I'm working with electrical engineers. I'm working with software developers. I'm neither of those two things. I don't understand i i mean I understand a very very surface level of that um but I think what I have learned to do is just to uh a like not not give up on it and uh to not just kind of like to not try um uh, sorry i i i try to to understand as best as i can and then to just ask like critical thinking type questions um and a lot of times what I found with that is that all i can ask these questions and it's just i'm offering a different perspective and i think i think uh, it is it kind of helps in in a lot of situations um you know another another like really valuable thing about working in this industry but it just in any job in general is um i had a one of my favorite classes in college i was a business major Uh, was human resources and it wasn't so much for the topic like I I I wouldn't I don't want to be in human resources but the the professor was amazing Um, and he had worked uh, he had the opportunity to become an executive at Heinz and um, you know he told us at the time he said you know by the time I was offered that I was older it would be a ton of hours you're, you're gonna work 60 plus hours a week, and um, it, it just wasn't for me. But but one of the things that he like drilled into us, we would do all of these tough kind of scenarios. We do labor negotiations where they set up these scenarios where neither side can win. Like it 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 really comes down to like this comp- compromise, and we talk about you know firing people and hiring people and all these things and he's he would always say you're going to work in a lot of difficult situations you're going to work with a variety of people and no matter what um it always comes down to treating people with dignity and respect and he just like hammered that into my brain over the, i think i had two semesters with him treat people with dignity and respect um try to understand them try to speak their language try to ask the right questions so um the other thing that i learned is that uh everybody has a specialty. And I think there's kind of this misconception that, you know, because somebody has a pile of degrees or because they have a lot of years of experience or, or I don't know, they're perceived as being really smart. I think that society maybe gives too much credit to that. Like, Oh, this person's good at math. They're a, I don't know, a smarter person. And I think, I I think it's, it's more that people have specialties and, um, and all of those specialties are valuable, especially in a team environment. Like one person on their own doesn't create an iPhone and distribute it and and market it and all those things. You need you need the specialties. Um, so in a way, like it, it reminds me of um, playing a playing a video game where either you cr- you're creating a character or you're using a character that that already exists in the game, and the characters have these attributes and again i think society tends to think like oh uh this technical person is just way smarter than i am and i i i want people to think of it more in terms of like their different skill sets um josh josh is way better at math than i am like by far um but josh is colorblind and and probably wouldn't make the best designer and he doesn't have like design skills but it's just so in this example that I have up on the screen, um, you know, we have two football players in this game and one one I think is a cornerback and the other is a wide receiver and they just have different skills. And you, you don't expect your quarterback to be a uh, to be a linebacker. It's just it it isn't what you need. So it's really um, it's really about people coming together, working together in a team. And I think in this relationship between uh, technical and non-technical, it's about coming together uh, for a compromise and, and meeting in the middle. And for it's just as important for the non-technical person to try to understand, to try to ask critical questions, as it is for the technical person to not just go off for an hour on technical specs and to be able to simplify things for the non-technical
0: person so i just had a question regarding skill sets and sort of overlap between the two Uh, i guess as companies progress and grow one of the key things that i know a lot of them struggle with is procurement Um, obviously that is something that ties into both sides of the engineering spectrum so technical and non-technical is this something that people kind of innately learn in a company as, as a skill like procurement and supply chain sort of navigation Or is this something that people specialize in within organizations and and which side is it for more on on the technical side or the non-technical side
1: oh that's an interesting question because i I feel like in procurement it's a little bit difficult and i imagine it is very dependent on the uh, the company itself uh, because i imagine in some companies the engineers say i want this part i want it in this quantity i want it from this place please go buy it for me whereas other Uh, companies, the engineer says, hey, I just need a resistor. It needs to be an 0603. I need 10,000 of them. Go find it somewhere. I don't care the brand. I don't care. And if it's open-ended like that, the procurement manager is going to have to know what they're talking about. First of all, they're going to say, 603, what do you, they need to know what that even means to start the conversation. And then they need to be able to research and say, okay, he might not have a brand preference, but I care because we need a, a high quality resistor. And then on top of that, on more of the business side and the non-technical side, he has to think about logistics. Okay, this place, they're selling 10,000 of them and that's great and you buy them, but then they're not available anymore. That was their going out of business sale or something like that. And so they don't provide any support. You can't go back and get 10,000 more. You have to go through somewhere else and then you have to characterize everything again. And so that that's a real interesting challenge because they have to, kind of play both sides. And how far they lean one side to the other, I think really depends on the environment of the company itself.
0: Great answer. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Larry. what about you from like a non-technical side? Is that something that you see at all in your day-to-day? Or is that sort of more, as Josh was saying, on that technical side of things?
2: Um, I, I would say more on the technical side of things. I think,
0: yeah.
1: Great, okay. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I I will also say, just really quick, when you were talking about not being able to speak the language, as an electrical engineer, I obviously speak the double E language, but when I'm talking to April, we'll have a client that'll ask a question like about the website, about the development side. And April and her team, they're very, very technical. It's just a different technical. And I don't know how many times I've just been like, April, they said this, you say this, I don't understand what's going on. Can you please explain? So it's funny that even as the technical person, when i'm outside of my technical field i have i i'm in the exact same spot as you are in terms of i have to respect them for what they know and i have to hope that they're going to be patient with me as i'm like what are you talking about here is that important and i don't know how many times we've said hey could you make this tweak expecting it to be really easy and they're like yeah that'll take a couple of weeks like oh my goodness and then other times you expect this huge change and like oh that's just a checkbox that we go in the back end and do so uh, I just, I was thinking as you are talking about that, like that's something I face all the time as well when dealing with the website development side of things, because that's not my field of expertise expertise. Yeah.
2: So, yeah, I mean, on our team, we have developers, designers, engineers, engineers, videographers, content writers, and everybody has to come together and work together. Um, so, um when we when we set out to um, work on circuit bread and and a lot of the things we work on um, we sit down and we say like okay how can we best utilize the um, our strengths as a team to reach the next generation and uh, you know it's interesting Apple used to throw up this slide in their presentation that had uh, the crossroads of technology and liberal arts and um, I think it's this idea that anybody can uh, or uh, any tech company can like create a device, um, but then ultimately that device has to be used by users, uh, regular people. So how do you? Uh, they, Apple would always say that they're creating these devices, uh, creating their products uh, at the crossroads of technology and liberal arts, and um, I, I think that 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 speaks to how we work uh, work on it as well, or how we view it. Um, and and a lot of it too that we want to focus on is like how do we utilize these strengths and pull everything together to reach the next generation um you know there's this there's this idea that um for for some reason even in my my own head there's this idea that millennials are going to enter the labor force like they've started a little bit but they're going to like the floodgates are going to open and i i looked Found this stat the other day that 40% of the labor force are uh millennials and post-millennials. And the number kind of kind of shocked me. And then I stepped back and I was thinking, I mean, I'm a 37-year-old millennial. It's not that I've just arrived in 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 the workforce. I've been here for a while. And um and so I think a lot of companies look at it like Okay, we have our existing approaches and those approaches have worked forever and those those approaches are going to continue working forever. And at the same time the younger generations are expecting a different a uh, different experience. Um especially in in what we work a lot in the, in the con- content content creation industry. Um you know, now it's about YouTube and social media and everything like that more and Print media is uh, not as not as common for uh, younger generations. So, um, you know, we're we're excited that seventy percent of Circuit Bread uh, YouTube subscribers are between the ages of eighteen and thirty-four. Um, it's people who are getting into the industry and people who are in the industry wanting to just kind of keep their skills uh, sharp. And uh, so, so
0: we want to focus just, where. Before you move on to that one, sorry um sure. i just wanted to ask with uh with internet nativity do you see it changing with millennials like do you think it's different now the way people find parts or want to purchase i'm trying to
2: think like i think uh i, I think so i think people I, that kind of goes into the the next slide that oh, cool. okay. that i'm going to talk to actually um where you know focus we want to focus on where young engineers do research and um a friend of ours Electrics. Did this study in 2022, uh, and it's it's about focusing on where young engineers do research. And um, you know, obviously, it's it's modern media, it's uh, streaming video and stuff like that. But uh, just looking at the graph there, e-learning courses in particular, video in particular um, formats like what we're doing right now, social media. um, You know, ultimately, ultimately, at the end of the day, they might go to the distributor site or octopart.com um to to find find the parts um but when when they're doing their research they're jumping on youtube they're jumping on on some of these newer platforms um to find out more about it and i don't know if josh
1: you have anything to add to that yeah i would almost say that those are kind of two separate parts there's uh, the research part in terms of trying to find the actual component that you want, and then there's the uh, sourcing it to purchase it. And I, I think when I first started, I the very first component I bought was online, And then the company started sending me these things, these books, they're humongous books of all the parts that were on sale. And I got those every month, every quarter. I don't remember. And I was sitting there in college thinking, what am I going to do with these? I used them as a footrest. I started piling them up under my desk and I just put my feet on them because I never used them. So, but that was how the older generation uh, did it. And I'm sure there are still many engineers that that's what they prefer. And I get that. I like, I still like reading books that are, Hardcover and even not hardcover, but tangible. I have my Kindle, but I'd still rather read a real book. But in terms of finding parts, I think I've definitely gone more with the younger generation and I want it to be something simple. I want to be able to compare everything as quickly as possible. So, in regards to Octopart, I put in a part number and it not only shows me where I can get that part, but it shows me all the price breakdowns at the different levels and all that sort of stuff. So, I like that sort of stuff because then in the cases where I already know the part number, I can have something that makes the decision making the easiest for me because all I have to do is put it in and it all pops up there in one page and I don't have to go, okay, now let me look at this distributor. Let me look at this distributor. Oh, do they do, do direct sales? Things like that. So I definitely right. do think that uh, procurement uh, has changed in the last 10 to 20 years in terms of, and I don't want to say we've gotten lazy, but we've gotten to the point where we enjoy the the easier aspects of it. It's like, why would I do it the hard way when I am being offered a free, easy way? It just doesn't make any sense to do it the hard way.
0: Right. And then what you were mentioning before about sort of like a, the initial start of starting the learning journey, being through YouTube and that sort of thing. Would you say that millennials and Gen Z have taken a different approach to how they choose which companies they want to interact with and actually look to these companies as sort of thought leaders as opposed to just hey here's what you can provide me professionally but they actually want to see them saying something standing for something believing in something or at least putting through a message or a brand that they can connect with is that something you've seen a trend in in recent years absolutely
2: absolutely and i think i think a lot of it is um i think we'll touch on it a little bit later too but i think a lot of it is um being genuine like mm. I think I think that's something that the younger generation values a lot is um like don't trick me into buying something. Don't like slap me in the face with an ad. Uh like I want I'm I have a question or I have a concern or I have I, I need to do some research, like give me the answer. Um mm. so I think I think that's the that's part of the challenge or it's part of playing the, the game with content is like creating genuine content that people are looking for, but but it has to be funded as well so it's striking this balance between how do you how do you weave in promotion and things like that in a natural way yeah
0: that makes sense i mean we octopards launched the pulse which is our content center um Mm -hmm. and obviously we try to provide a wide range of content we're going to have some sponsored stuff here and there but we have a lot of stuff that we want to be genuine that people can actually come to and learn and say oh that was actually really interesting that's actually applicable to, to my career and my daily life so and we've seen a really positive response from that. So it's, it's, I mean, I kind of think it's, it's a step in the right direction. People kind of want to hold brands accountable. It's no longer just how much ad spend can we throw at someone until they buy something? So. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think
2: it's, I think it's playing a longer game. Um, Mm -hmm. I think uh, traditionally a lot of thinking is like, we put up an ad and we see the results at the end of the month and that's it. And I think that, you know, I mean, we we started the Circuit Bread platform at zero everything, zero page views, zero subscribers, zero, um, and it's taken a long time. Um, I we've been at it five years, and we have, I think we just uh, we're almost seventy six thousand subscribers on YouTube. Uh, but it's it's definitely like it's not something that you start and say like okay, at the end of this month we're gonna be like an influencer or something like that. Like we we haven't, I I think we still haven't arrived at that that point yet either um it just takes a long time
0: yeah and, and TikTok's like a whole other beast in that space where uh, people yeah. can blow up overnight but it's really hard as a brand to actually market <laughs> appropriately on that platform given their standards and their, their best practices yeah and yeah, you just and... never know
1: sometimes you'll hear clients say hey we'd like to make a viral movie or viral video and it's like wouldn't we all i, I mean yeah sometimes a viral video is a lot of work and sometimes it's just somebody that happened to take a a video in their kitchen and it took them 10 seconds and then it went viral like there's yeah. a lot that goes into it right right and the the other thing too that i'll say is that uh
2: what like a really valuable thing that we learned is that each platform is unique in how you build it um yeah. it, with the site, it's about, you know, SEO and creating uh, regular content and and um, um, your, uh, your domain authority and things like that. And with YouTube, uh, you know, the, what people see when they do a search result is they see a title and they see a thumbnail. And that's all of the information they have to go off. And then right. once they click on that... You have your click-through rate and they start watching the video and then it's what YouTube looks at is how long Did they stay? Yeah, um, so I mean that's basically telling YouTube. How good is the content? Um, right So that, That's what I would recommend for people to like building these platforms is like look at each one YouTube Facebook website Instagram and Read books about it. Watch YouTube videos about how each one kind of
1: functions, right? Oh, great next I'll let you guys get back to it. So right now our goal with CircuitBread is basically to have the core educational courses. We do a lot of non-educational, but we our goal is basically 75 to 80 percent of our content is purely educational tutorial type lesson coursework. We want people to be able to come to CircuitBread, look at a video, and learn uh, perhaps a, a basic introduction to controls control systems. And they go in, and they learn about it and they have the concept and we do a little bit of math to get them comfortable with the association between the concept and the math and then they go to their class and in the class the professor says okay you guys watch that video that i recommended if that would be the ideal case let's talk about it now and in that class people would be able to ask questions because that's one of the challenges with videos you can't ask questions live you can't say hey wait, what did you mean by that and we try and make the videos as Clear as possible, but obviously there's imperfections, and sometimes it'll click with one person and it won't with the other. But at, after they've watched this video, they can go in, talk to their professor, ask any questions, get things clarified, and then uh, basically uh, they can get homework and all those sorts of things to uh, make sure that they truly understand the concept. And so um, that is basically our main goal is that we can work hand in hand with professors, not competing with them, but hand in hand with professors to uh, teach these concepts and these mathematical principles. And then they can go with your university and become um, uh, become even more familiarized with it, like more entrenched that information in them by asking those questions that they need clarified. And then also by um uh, by doing homework because actually doing homework as much as homework stinks uh, that really helps those concepts to stink to, to sink in so even though i've talked about tutorials we actually have other things we've created to try and help uh, people understand I- exactly what's going on so uh, with this visual that just popped up you can see in the top left that's a tutorial we're trying to help people understand rgb leds um, we try and do more practical things uh, the funny thing is that's just we were trying to show exactly what can happen with a a decent voltage and a very low resistance and this is not at all useful for engineers to actually learn something but every once in a while we need a break so the developers wanted to do some practices so uh, Ivan uh, who's our development team lead uh, works directly with April he wanted to create this game so uh, Stephanie our design team lead. She also created this game and they created the sprites. Anyway, that's kind of a fun aside. But then we have our FAQs, which are more standalone uh, topics that people might be interested. We have the tools that uh, people can use to go along with what they need uh, in order to learn. So tools to uh, gain their tools to verify what they know. Um, and I only wanna bring mention the last thing on this because I, I really, really like it. There's the study guide. So Susie put together these study guides and they're basically uh, something that you can go in if you've taken the class and you just don't remember certain particulars of the class or don't remember certain equations, you can jump in and she's got it all summarized very beautifully. I love the study guides. They're extremely well done and I think they're incredibly helpful. Um, but the, that kind of is a demonstration of the different um different types of content that we're trying to do to help electrical engineering students succeed uh, but we also like to do fun higher level not quite as technical of videos and i think this sanda gaming video is a great example of it and i think this is more of a passion project for laren so i'll let him talk to it
2: yeah so this one uh one of our favorite videos uh you know when I was working in IT I would uh, go into the server rooms and look at the servers look at the the switch gear and you'd see all these little blinking lights on the switch gear and and you'd hear the hard drives whirring and stuff like that and sometimes I just look at it and think like that blinking light is somebody streaming a video or saving a file or something like that and I I've worked I've worked in uh, you know I I've always loved technology but it's it's and and can understand how some of the things work uh in in kind of little seg- segments but how does it all come together uh into one experience you know how um how does our phone work like all of these little components um uh, that uh, hundreds of companies working on components and raw materials um so this video that we created is uh goes through from a relatively high level uh how you go from literally sand and silicon to uh every step of that process ingots cutting that into wafers um uh using lithography machines uh how how you start integrating with code um to to control all this stuff and and in total the video goes from sand to how you can play a a modern video game like call of duty on a console um and again for me it was just so cool to see it all come together and to see like man this is how it's actually possible it's insane that it works but it's amazing that it all comes together
1: yeah that's a particularly fun one i i really enjoy that and i like to look at these as more of an opportunity to uh, at the top of the funnel get people that might be interested in electrical engineering have a better understanding of why it's really cool to be an electrical engineer, and also show the the variety of what you can do as an electrical engineer. You don't have to do circuit design. You don't have to do hardware design. You don't have to do semiconductor. You can do whatever you want within that and still make really really cool things. Um, now, in the interest of time, I, I just want to touch on this briefly. But uh, at the moment, Circuit Bread is not very funded. Uh, we have we're in the process of monetizing it, but when we mentioned earlier about advertisements and trying to have a more genuine relationship with uh, with people, we don't, we never wanted Circuit Bread to just have banner ads uh, all over the place. And so we created what we call the Friends of Circuit Bread program, which uh, basically is the opportunity for us to weave a um, weave a friend into the content itself in a way that makes sense. So, for example, we have a resistor manufacturer that is supporting some of our Ohm's Law type tutorials, those more basic tutorials. And in those tutorials, we we mention how, um, or we use their parts as an example, and we we have them in a way have them integrated into the the tutorial itself in a way that we hope makes more sense. Because frankly, our demographics, we've looked at it. of our demographics don't use, or excuse me, do use ad blockers. So they don't see any ads anyway. And second, a lot of the ads that you see in places, they're really out of context. So you might be learning about Ohm's law, but then you have this tutorial talking about a $30,000 oscilloscope. And well, I mean, you're a student trying to learn the basics. You don't need a $30,000 oscilloscope. There's no real relationship. So we're trying to create some way of making it where it just is natural and it's beneficial and and we really do see the benefits of everybody working together and so we we want to create this sort of network effect um, in in the way that we support ourselves up because if we do this properly everybody wins uh, users win because they have less stress and they do better as electrical engineers Uh, Universities win because they have a higher success rate with their electrical engineers, more people are passing and they don't have to have as much stress because they're able to leverage the content that we've created. Um, The friends that are supporting us, they're benefiting because they're showing their brand awareness and they're showing like, hey, uh, we're willing to support this and they're getting that front of mind um, uh, real estate with these upcoming engineers. And finally, it helps us because it funds us in this mission to create this content. So I, I do love win-win situations. And Sergei, an uh, engineer that I've been working with for almost 10 years now, and he still does fantastic work for us, uh, he knows that if it's not at least a double win, then I'm not interested. But ideally, it should be a triple or a quadruple win. And in this case, we think it can be a win-win-win-win situation for everybody. Um, to be To be lifted up and helped uh, together, and just overall make this a better space, which I think is frankly the core of the message in terms of success, both on the engineering side and the non-engineering side. And that is, if you are doing your work with the intent of not only helping yourself, but helping the company you're working for for and the users that are utilizing the services of your company, Then you're going to be successful because everybody wins and that's that's
0: the best way to move forward fantastic thank you so much for that it was uh fascinating listening to that but we do have some questions for you that have been sent Uh, in by the audience so i'm going to start with this one here uh it's a bit of a longer question but i think it's very relevant uh they said i'm a student and just out of curiosity i wanted to check do job application i saw some job applications and some of the electronics engineering positions have certifications that are needed to apply. But when I talk to the recruiters of these companies, I hear that they see it as more of a bonus rather than a necessity to apply. Is it pretty common in the industry to see something like this? From my perspective, yes. It's, and it goes back to
1: what I said, when you're coming out of college, they don't expect you to know everything. And for many job applications and many job positions, they don't expect you to know everything in that case either. And the certifications are a bonus. It means, okay, you're specialized in this area. But one of the things about being an electrical engineer, it's all about being able to learn and being able to grow in that area. And once you jump in, then you're going to be able to add more value. And, And of course, that's not always the case. You may be an expert in exactly that thing and what they need, but most of the time, what I've seen is they say, hey, we want somebody that is interested in this, has a fairly good idea of what's going on. And then we expect them to have at least a couple of months to kind of figure out and really delve deep into that topic once they're there. So yeah, I certificates, I haven't really seen a actual demand for those
0: certificates to be needed to actually apply for the job. Okay, great, thank you. Um, the other one is, do you see millennials changing big enterprises way of manufacturing so are they shifting the company culture and method of manufacturing
1: i think so yeah uh, laren did you want to address that one or
0: i mean i would
2: i would say from from a non-technical perspective i think that yeah every generation is going to come into the workforce and change change the way that things happen and it's kind of funny like um you know a lot of people Kind of bemoan that fact, like, oh man, the next generation is coming and they're just terrible, and <laughs> I don't know, things are different, and things will never be the same. And it's like, yeah, things probably won't be the same, but that doesn't mean it's going to be worse. I think, I think, um, I think overall we improve over time. I think uh, younger generations come along and say, um, why are we doing it this way? Uh, they they like kind of push on management, push on their you know bosses and everything to kind of explain why things have been done that way. And a lot of times that leads to making the processes better
0: and pushing things forward, so. Great. Uh, we only have one more question here, so just to anyone who's uh, still attending, if you have any questions, now would be the time to ask. We can get to them before we wrap up. Uh, the last one is, do you see, uh, I mean, the advancement of AI changing the way that anything's done in this sort of space? Like, What are, what are the changes that you see coming from that development?
2: yeah i mean i think i think that's what everybody's talking about right now um and internally we've sat down and had had several meetings about this like the stuff that's coming really fast um how do we how do we utilize it both on the agency side and both on the and on the circuit bread side um i mean man it, it's crazy because i think it's in in one sense it's going to change everything um but But I I would caution people like we've been on calls with people where they say, oh, yeah, like this really now we can just like just bust out content like crazy, just paste in the prompts and and it spits out a thing. And then we do a video and Josh and I kind of just look at each other and we're like, I don't think that's like a good long term. like it's a good way to put out a lot of content, but it's not a good way to build a, a good, genuine user base that cares about your stuff. Um, so I, I think the way that we're viewing that internally for content creation for the work that we do is just, it's it's another, it's a very, very powerful tool. It's like everybody's gotten this super magic hammer <laughs> that they can swing around. Um, but, but it is just a tool. And ultimately, I think, um, I mean, we also have to do the work. Um, it helps us check the work. It helps us make sure we don't get stuck, all those things. But um, yeah, I, I think use it as a tool and um, embrace it. Don't don't like don't push it up and say like I'm never gonna learn it. Uh, like embrace it because it's here, um, and we'll all move forward and it'll it'll be great. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things I think where it's just like other things when people are resistant to to the change. It's it's coming, and you can be as resistant as you want, <laughs> yeah. but that's gonna be a skill that you don't have that other people who are applying for jobs will have. And it's going to be detrimental to you overall, ignoring it.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it's interesting too. Like we, uh, I, I have this idea that, um, when we get old is when we kind of draw a line in the sand and say like, ah, oh, we're not gonna, we're not gonna do that new technology thing. Like, um, uh, my mom, when Facebook started, she's like, I'd never put myself up on there. Now she's like uses it more than anybody I know um, <laughs> yeah. but I was I was over at my friend's house the other day and I was I was talking about this exact thing actually and I I asked my friend uh, we were we were talking about this and I I said what is the technology that our generation is going to be like no that's like too far I'm not doing it and not getting involved and for some people that's AI some for some people that's uh, augmented reality or virtual reality um, so I turned to their their young kids in the room and well, first I asked my friend who's my age, I said, would you get like a ocular implant that, that like has this heads up display and gives you information? And all of us, like us older people are like, yeah, I don't, that's like a little too far. I don't think I'd do that. And I turned to the like 12 year old kid and I was like, Hey, Luke, would you, uh, get this? Would you get an ocular implant? And he's like, yeah. I was like, <laughs> what would you use it for he's like i mean everything all sorts of <laughs> so <laughs> right so I, yeah i mean I, I i think it's it's important to just em- embrace new technology as much as possible otherwise it, it'll kind of like
0: eat you i think yeah i agree completely uh i just uh have this one question one comment and then just i want to add one thing quickly to uh what you said that uh, I read an article a little while ago saying that at a certain age, people's brains actually stop wanting to adapt to new things, um, and it actually varies completely by person. Uh, and it relates to a lot of things in life, so if you think about it, everything ranging from like uh, new technology through to trying new foods or even listening to new music. Um, and some people, it starts as early as 25, according to the article. Uh, some people, it's mid-30s, and then other people, it never happens to. So yeah, I thought that was interesting. Uh, and then the next question is: Do you think programming goes hand in hand with electronics engineering? Is it expected in the industry, and with what programming languages?
1: Oh, that's crazy. I literally just wrote a paper about that yesterday or the day before. There you uh, go.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, yes, I do think it goes hand in hand. I think there are certain electrical engineers that won't need it uh, on the power engineering side. There might not be as much. However, I think that being able to even understand some of the basic languages are, it expands everything and can simplify whatever you're doing. Um, so uh, it depends if you wanna go into embedded systems and that's kind of the focus of a lot of us here at CircuitBread, a lot of the engineers. And so a lot of us do see, um, Sergei even does assembly. That's a little bit more esoteric for me. Uh, but those programming languages, languages are very important, so I would recommend C for anybody planning on going into the embedded system. And that's not even a, oh, nice to have, that's basically a you need to know this uh, if you plan on succeeding in that world. Uh, if you want to go down a level and actually do the digital hardware design, you could do VHDL or Verilog. Um, that, There's debates between the two of them, and I don't really have the time or the uh, inclination to really talk about which one of those two, but if you wanna do digital hardware design and use FPGA, stuff like that, you definitely should learn VHDL or Verilog. Now, that's actually one of those things where I think anybody could use C, and that's probably a good standard language to learn, but if you're not going to be learning about digital hardware design, you probably don't need to invest the time into VHDL or Verilog. So take that with a grain of salt. I would love to learn about it more and Sergei's actually hoping to teach me more about that but we've just been too busy for me to really get into that as deeply as I'd like to. Um, MATLAB is used a lot in school but that's actually one of those things that can go outside of school as well and it uses a its own proprietary language. So that, that's very very useful to do anything in circuits or signal analysis or control systems or whatever. Uh, so that's something I'd recommend. Now, MATLAB is incredibly expensive. That's why we actually did some tutorials with Scilab, the freeware clone, basically, of MATLAB. And so if you're more of a student that wants to get into it or a hobbyist, definitely recommend the Scilab route because MATLAB is, it's, it's pricey. Um, and then Python is kind of useful just in general. That's a way to make some scripts that will automate your data, um, data gathering, stuff like that interfaces with different devices. Uh, So Python is a pretty simple, pretty straightforward language and I think that's another one of those generic. It would be good for most everybody to have a good idea of how to use those. Um, Again, not every electrical engineer will need to learn programming, but I feel that enough of them need to do it, that it's a good idea for anybody to at least familiarize yourself with any of those languages. And there are a lot of other languages out there um, that would possibly be important, but I feel like those are more of the high-level generic ones that you would find. And if you wanna get more detail, I don't know when that blog's gonna go live, but eventually the blog will go live and you can read what I wrote and had a little bit more forethought and
0: preparation uh, into putting that together. Great, lastly, just to finish up, I just wanted to read out the comment that that was submitted. Uh, they said, I also I also just checked out Circuit Bread and I'm already surprised by the amount of knowledge. Please keep it up. As a student, this is amazing, thank you.
1: Ah, oh, awesome, thank you very much. That's that's good to hear. Yeah,
0: yeah. okay, well, uh, thank you both for presenting that. That was fascinating. I uh, really appreciate the time that you took. And for everyone who tuned in to the webinar, especially the people who are still here, thank you so much, uh, we appreciate it. And there will be more in this series. Uh, we're gonna have a bunch of different types of webinars coming in the future, so please stay tuned and make sure you uh, subscribe to to all of our future webinars. Thank you, everyone, and uh, have a great day. Thank you very much. Okay.